your brain is going to tell you that you have no reason to be depressed. That's what depression does. It's a smart son of a bitch. Don't listen to it. Welcome to Laugh Your Cry Out, the podcast that features unfiltered conversations about our collective mental health and where we make it easy to talk about the hard stuff. Nothing is off limits. After listening, you'll walk away smiling about the plight of being human and maybe even learn a bit about yourself. I'm your host, Joey Dumont. Let's dive into today's episode. Lucas Anthony Wolf, welcome to Thank Laugh You Cry Out. <laughs> so this little book I finished last night. So Thank I want to commend you on a couple of things. One of which is uh, it's pretty damn hard to write a book to begin with, much less a memoir about depression <laughs> and suicidal yeah. ideation and all the things. I do want to start with um, how encouraged I was when I first started reading because one of your first sentences that made me laugh out loud was, nothing against the Kardashians, but I'd rather get punched in the face than watch their show. (laughs) So I thought, oh, I love this dude already. So that's a good start. Um, And then you have a little bit of uh, Holden Caulfield going on with, hey, I'm not going to blame society and all that nonsense, which I thought was great because um, I'm a big Salinger fan. So he had a little hold without the bitterness. So let me just point that out. So that I, I really enjoyed your I really enjoyed your memoir. And I wanted to start with that um, as someone who's written a memoir. And I know how hard it is. And uh, kudos to you. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Um, and, and especially because I was really going for a non-bitter attitude. I know, so it's a heavy topic. So I wanted to throw in some stuff that was a little bit lighter that could get people to laugh. Um, because, you know, part of the reason I even wrote this was because I was reading a lot of books about, uh, depression and recovery. Um, just as I was going through, um, what I was going through and trying to come out on the other side of it. And a lot of them were, uh, they were either dry and boring or they, they seemed kind of bitter. Um, and that wasn't really helping me. No, I'm with you. I've done the same thing because I've suffered over the years and every book, not every book, but a lot of the books you read are very, very sullen and very uh, dark. And so that yeah. wasn't helping. <laughs> it's like yeah. I wanted, I did like the fact that you also made a joke about how um, your descent into madness is pretty damn entertaining. And I think as I shared with you in my brief email back and forth to you is that uh, the whole purpose of this platform is to do exactly what you're attempting to do as well which is to shine some light on some darkness with a little bit of humor, right? Where right. you can laugh at yourself and some of the behaviors, um, you know, I mean, waking up in a closet, all those kind of things that help you understand, you know, like you are fallible. Um, and I think that the twist for you that was really unique for me is that the title says it all, my perfect life, right? So you grew up with a really cool family. Um, and I want to commend that to begin with your, your parents sound really cool. Your mom and dad, um, being really supportive and understanding and the fact that they had a, a big obstacle in their own life. You guys, you guys were born premature, you and your twin brother, Joe. Um, yep. and then Gabriel obviously, uh, suffered, was it monocotyl meningitis? It was, uh, pneumococcal meningitis. Pneumococcal meningitis at 11 mm-hmm. months. Um, yep. And he obviously was a big factor into your life and a huge piece of this book that was really touching. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your dad and your mom and Gabriel and Joe? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, both, uh, both my parents, you know, they, they grew up in, in sort of the, uh, typical post World War II, uh, style, uh, family. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they were on the poorer side, um, kind of lived sort of scrappy. Um, and, uh, they, they were real big on, on, uh, wanting to give us a better life. Um, good education, uh, real big on family time. You know, they always wanted to make sure that we had family dinner around the table. Um, not watching TV during dinner time, that, that kind of thing. Um, and they were strict. I mean, they, uh, they, they were tough parents. Um, I'll, I'll give them that. Um, but I always tell them, you know, I, I never doubted for a minute of my life, whether they love me, um, or whether they would give their last breath for me. So, uh, I think that's about as good a job as, as you could do as a parent. Um, yeah, so they, they, they were great parents. Um, and, they they were very helpful with uh what i went through because they didn't you know they didn't poo poo it they didn't try to pretend that it was something that it wasn't they didn't know what it was either and um you know neither did i when when i finally called them um you know i i go through it in the book but i i go through a couple years of fighting this depression before it really breaks me and and i reach a point where i realized I needed some help and I called them and they were very receptive to that. Um, so that was, that was really great. And this started for you, what junior year in high school, you started to notice a change in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. It was about my junior year in high school. Um, and really the, the best way that I knew how to describe it was that it just felt like something was off. Um, it, it just felt like something was out of alignment and it was so easy to just say, well, I'm a teenager. Uh, and everybody says that teenagers feel this way and we go through phases and, you know, I, I'm, maybe I'm going to college soon. And uh, th- there's just a million things that could explain why I felt a little bit off. Um, and I just couldn't put the words to it. Um, except for the, the suicidal, suicidal ideation that I knew well, something was wrong. Um, but I didn't know that that was like a normal thing that people struggling with depression went through. I just thought I was nuts. Right. And like I said, you know, <laughs> yeah. my perfect life, <clears throat> I had a great life. I, you know, in my mind, I had just no reason to be depressed. Um, and so I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to, how to talk about that, how to, how to explain what was going on with me. And did you early on, cause you mentioned earlier in your book that it, it was a slow moving train right? That kind of, I'm paraphrasing you, but it, yeah. it started slowly. And did you have suicidal ideation as early as high school or you just have like a, a fog that started I, that eventually became much more drastic? So I, I actually did have the, uh, you know, I, I think it was more intrusive thoughts. Um, and, and I sort of described them later from like my senior year when I would just see myself in my mind's eye, you know, jumping off a building or, you know, dead in a bathtub or something like that. That was happening to me, not as frequently, but that was happening in my junior year of high school. In high school. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's, it's a pretty scary thing when you're 16, 17 years old and you don't know anything about it. You know, yeah. you, uh, you kind of just want that to stop happening. Um, you don't, <laughs> 
yeah. particularly want to tell anyone about it. No, you're supposed to be thinking about girls and sports and having exactly. fun with your buddies and maybe getting a driver's license and a new car. Yeah. Not not yeah. actually offing yourself like some kind of suicide mob figure who's right. about to go to trial. Right. <clears throat> and then you actually had the same because you, you have a really uh vulnerable story when you and Joe and your dad went to Penn State for the first time to watch a game and mm-hmm. you walked over, you guys were in the nosebleed seats. And you walked over to the end and you started looking over. And that was, again, where you were like, I could do this. I could end it right here. Exactly. And it was it was so bizarre to me. And it was another, I guess, component that I didn't understand of depression. Because I thought that if you were depressed, it was, it was like a, a mood that you felt 100% of the time. Right. Um, you were always depressed until you got better. And I didn't realize that it kind of comes and goes in waves. And so, you know, that day that I visited Penn State with uh, my dad and my brother, and, and I, I grew up in a Penn State family, right? You know, my, yeah. my pop-up went there, my dad went there. Um, so I heard about this place my whole life. So I was pumped to get to, get to go see it. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with it, loved being there, loved seeing the football. And, and so this was one of the best days of my life. Right. And on one of the best days of my life, I just casually am looking out over the stadium and, and I realized that there's a part of me that wants to just jump off of it. And, you know, I was talking to, to a friend of mine and he was like, well, um, he was just curious. You know, he was like, well, is it that thing when, when you are like high up and, and, right. you know, cause that's, I forget exactly, but it's, it's a, it, it's a phenomenon that actually has a name. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I, I have felt that, and I'm telling you, this was totally, completely different. Um, and it was a very bizarre thing. And yeah, that scared the heck out of me too. And that was while well, you were still your senior in high school at that point, or were you actually about I, to go into Penn State? Uh, uh, that, I was a junior in high school, and that was like our first like college okay. visit. So that mm-hmm. all happened. And then you got accepted, went to Penn State, and... Yep. It was still there, and did start. It, did that? Did it start increasing as far as frequency and um, the depth of the depression? Was it getting worse? Like as a freshman yeah. when you got there? Yeah. It so it for the most part it pretty much steadily got worse. I would say maybe my freshman year of college was when I felt the most free of it um, because everything was so new, and I was. Just, you know, just, I was just having a good time making new friends. You know, um, uh, the, the, the first girl that I, that I met ended up becoming my girlfriend like a month into college. And then I ended up marrying her a few months ago. Um, Congrats on that, by the way, that's Erica, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's Erica. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, so I just, I really had a good time my freshman year and it really wasn't until the the end of the year that I started to really feel the depression again. And it was because I was always, um, I was always able to kind of push it off all those years. Right. So like when I first started feeling it in my junior year of high school, I convinced myself that it was because I was a teenager and it was stress from, thinking about my future, you know, thinking about college, thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, um, because I wasn't sure. And it seemed like a lot of other people were. And so I thought, 
pretty reasonably, you know, once I figure this out, I'm, I'm not going to feel lost anymore and I'm not going to have these other feelings. Well, then I get into college and then at the end of my freshman year, um, you know, I went into college undecided. I took a bunch of classes, but I kind of leaned engineering. Uh, and at the end of the year, I decided to go into chemical engineering. So those were two big things that I thought when I got those sorted out, the depressive feelings would go away. And when they didn't, then they started to get worse, right? Because the thing that I thought was going to cure me didn't. And that, you know, that upped the anxiety and that, that upped the realness of it. Um, and that, you know, then I had to move the goalpost again and I had to pick something else that was going to, to fix me. Um, and I talk about that a bit, you know, that's when I decided, okay, well, once I get an internship and I graduate, I'm going to feel better. Um, right. And I don't think it's a bunch of a spoiler that that, that didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the internship in New Mexico was a very interesting story. Um, and the visuals were great. I think that some of the death that occurred in that camp, um, I actually walked by a Ford 150 pickup truck uh, one, I took my little boy skiing the other day and looked at how big it was. <laughs> and that story you shared about those huge trucks that just ran over <laughs> one of those trucks, you know, as it was leaving the the quarry was just, I mean, cause I've seen those things. They're like 30 feet tall. Those yeah. wheels are, you know, the size of like three, three different cars. Um, and Both your boss people. sounded like a total dick. <laughs> so yeah, right. He was, he was not a nice guy. And, and I love that you went at him at the end with your review. And he was like, well, you know, there's certain things that we didn't really didn't do and you didn't answer anything. And you're like, what, what questions, what, what questions, you know? And he was like, yeah, no, it's too late. You're screwed. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was so mad in that review, man. I really was. Well, cause, and then that was part of what you were talking about as a young man, you're putting everything on the internship because you weren't getting great grades because you were obviously struggling mentally. Um, you shared with, you know, you're 52 on your first chem E class and a couple other areas where you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hitting this. And by the way, before I continue, did you eventually started to like chemical engineering, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, it, it was always something that interested me. Yeah. Um, and I still, yeah, I had a love hate relationship with it for sure. Um, cause it, I mean, it was kicking my butt, man. I mean, I was just getting I can't whacked. Even imagine. <laughs> Yeah. And it was like, even if, even if the average was a 50, I still got like a 35. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, that's demoralizing when you put like a hundred hours into something and you get 35. Like, so yeah, there were, there were definitely times that I was like, uh, not loving the major. Yeah. Well, back to your internship. So the, what was, what happened with the sulfuric acid (laughs) and how it got, in your body. Like, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Cause you know, as far as like the byproduct of your depression and mistakes, that was a story that I actually laughed at, not at you, but I was like, Oh my God, that's gotta be one of the most embarrassing things to ever happen at an internship. <clears throat> that's, that's why I put it in there because I remember even at the time thinking this is hysterical. I mean, this is messed <laughs> up, but this is, this is pretty funny. So so when I got this internship in New Mexico, um, it was maybe six years into, into the depression. And I really started to have some, some bad symptoms. And one of them was brain fog. 
Um, yeah. And again, I didn't know that that's what it was called at the time, but it felt like just burning sludge going through my head. And I mean, when I say it, it, it hurt to think it, it hurt to think it was like, I just was out of it. And I, uh, I, and a whole bunch of other stuff gets messed up with your body. Right. So I wasn't eating right. I, I couldn't sleep, blah, 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 blah. So yeah. I am just in total pain and I'm in New Mexico and I'm on this thing called a leech pad. And it's basically where they just have these long hoses that have little holes in them. And uh, it just sprays a very light sulfuric acid solution that pulls minerals out of the, uh, out of the rock, uh, which is called ore. And it just puts it down into a big pool basin and drains it off. And then they do a bunch of stuff with it. Um, so I'm up on these leech pads for my project and I'm taking measurements and I'm just crouched up against this really big boulder because I feel like I'm going to pass out. And you and had you're to wear a whole shitload of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. You had to wear heavy, like gear. Yeah. All kind <clears throat> of crap. You had to have, I mean, so I got long sleeve, heavy shirt. It was like having a winter jacket on with like a hat and goggles and long pants and boots and gloves, except it's the middle of July. I'm at 6,000 feet elevation in the New New Mexico desert. It's getting (laughs) cooked under the sun. And sulfuric acid smells like rotten eggs. So that's not making it any better, right? So I'm crouched up against this boulder because I feel like I'm going to pass out. My head feels like it's swimming. I just, I feel like I'm dying. It's terrible. And I can feel sweat running down my back. But as I'm sitting there getting this measurement and I need to sit there for about a minute or two to get the full thing, I realized that it feels like a lot of sweat is running (laughs) down my back. And it felt like enough that it was pooling in these like really cotton starched pants, right? So it was like my pants almost poofed out into this like container and I could feel how wet it was getting there. And I was like, this is messed up, man. But I didn't want to stand up because I was afraid I just wasn't going to be able to get back down and finish it. So I just sat there and I sat there and I sat there. And then I stood up. And when I stood up, I realized that I had accidentally moved a hose that was over that boulder. And sulfuric acid was just dripping into my pants the entire time. And so when I stood up, just went all over me, man. And I was, I was burning and everything. And so I hightailed it back to the truck. And my goal was to try to get to a wash station, but zero chance of that happening. And so, uh, it, I just, I, I just, I reflex, I just went into a reflex mode and I just took off my boots, ripped off my pants, ripped off my boxers, took off the shirts. And I was just naked in the back of a work truck at this job. Oh and God. I was like, I hope nobody comes by. And I, I had a sweaty tank on underneath my shirt. And I just used that to wipe all the sulfuric acid off of me. And then, uh, then I, and I was in the back of the truck doing that. And I was like, if somebody comes by here, I'm just naked in the back of a truck right now. Like, I'm going to get fired. (laughs) There's the new intern. And by the way, I don't know anything about sulfuric acid, but when you say burn, what is it doing to your skin? It, um, you know what it felt? It, it felt like a colony of fire ants. 
had oh, broke apart in my pants and it just it felt like it's a stinging burning biting sensation now it was it's a very light sulfuric acid solution if it was heavy it, that would be very very bad yeah um but it was light so it was just it's it's very irritating is what okay. it is mm-hmm. well and then you met a really amazing young lady named sarah there mm-hmm. right what yeah. was that relationship like, and how did she help you get through this internship? Well, Sarah was great because one of the things that, unfortunately, we're all finding out over this last year is that isolation is brutal, yeah. um, especially if there's already kind of some underlying condition. If you're already on your way downhill and then you get isolated, that's just awful. Um, and I really was very isolated in New Mexico until Sarah got on the job. Um, and was she a I don't, I don't know. She Sorry, was, okay. mm-hmm. no, no, she was, she was the same age and she just, she was just cool. I mean, she was just a normal person is the best way I know how to explain it. You know, we just hung out. We talked about random stuff. We, you know, swapped funny stories from college. You know, we, we worked together. Um, and it was, it was nice. And I, I didn't feel like I was the last person on the planet, um, when her and I hung out and that, that really helped keep me afloat that summer. Cause I was, uh, I was drowning. Um, and the way that my mindset was, was I, I needed to finish this internship. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go home early. That was, I just couldn't do it. And did you share with her what you were going through or you just left, you kind of kept that hidden? I, I kept that hidden. Um, yeah, I, I kept that hidden and, and I still didn't even think of it as depression at the time. I didn't know. Um, and I, I, I had just, I had just kind of come to terms with the fact that whatever was happening to me was inevitable and unfixable. Um, and I was just trying to make it as long as I could. Um, it was kind of, it, in my mind, it, it was predetermined that I was dead. It was just a matter of how much longer am I going to make it before that happens. And is this the first time you were isolated? Because at Penn State, I assume you had buddies that you lived with, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How so many I was. Did you have? I had four roommates. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't have a lot of isolation. Right? No. I mean, you guys, yeah, you're stacked on top of each other. You're broke. You're playing video games, drinking beer, eating shitty food. But 100%. Yeah. 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 So did, none of those dudes knew either, right? You didn't share that with them or your brother. Correct. Yeah. I didn't share it with anyone. Um, and it was, it was a lot easier to hide than what people think. Um, if, I mean, I, 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 I'm the last person, right, that that people would think of as depressed. I mean, I was just always bouncing off the walls. Never wanted to to stay in, you know, on on Friday or Saturday night. I didn't care what was going on. I was like, unless you are deathly ill, like we're going out, we're having a good time. You know, I was always uh, getting people together to party and and. Uh, to be social and just to go do things. So to think of me as depressed, just, you know, it just didn't make any sense. Um, 
And so it was, it was very, very easy to hide that. But you were reading a lot about this at this point. Were you diving in to find out what was going on in your head or talking to anyone? I, I was not. Um, I mean, I would, I, I would do some, some searches on the internet. You know, I, I talk about that one story that I saw, um, in my junior year, uh, about a, uh, young woman that went to, uh, UPenn, uh, Madison Hollering. Um, you might not have heard of her all the way out there on the West Coast, but it was, uh, it was a pretty big story over on the East Coast. Um, because it was, it was just, she was just like me, right? Had, had a great life, had a great family, had a great home, uh, had incredible grades, um, and, and seemed to be going places and showed really not much signs, not, not many symptoms. And then just kind of out of the blue. Um, and as I was reading her story, I, I just, even though I still didn't think of myself as depressed, I knew whatever happened to her was happening to me. Um, and you would think that that would be the point that I would reach out and tell someone, but I still, I still just wanted to beat it. I didn't want to have to admit that this was happening. And that was more of a weakness thing. Did you think it was weak? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was weakness. Um, I, I was embarrassed by it. Um, you know, a whole, a whole host of things. Cause, and, 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 you know, it's, it's complicated. Right. Um, and I think sometimes we try to oversimplify it a little bit and just say that it's stigma and that don't get me wrong. That's a massive component of it. Um, but it is also extremely personal, right? It, It just, it really is a very personal experience. And even if, even if you're not embarrassed by it, that doesn't mean that you just want to share one of the most personal things you've ever gone through with, with random people, right? You know, we're not, yeah. we're not quite that open all the time. No, I, I, and I had a misapprehension. I assumed, and this, you know, when you assume, yeah, we screw up, but I assumed your generation was a little different than mine, right? I, my generation was more John Wayne, James Bond, you know, like man up, like be who you are, just suck it down. If you ever watch Bill Burr, the comedian, but oh, love Bill Burr, right? I mean, yeah. he just crushes that on that front. He's, he's like, you know, he was on a plane and he was, they thought the plane was going to crash. And he's like, you know, I was scared shitless and I was talking and he goes, and there's a guy like three below's behind me. And he's, he's like whining, like crying, like a little girl. And he goes, and he goes, and I turned back and I was just like, man, shut up, just shut up. And the only people who should be saying this are, are chicks and little children, like be a man, (laughs) you know, just own it. He's like, push your feelings down. (laughs) And he goes, act like you have all the answers. Be a man. You know, I'm just laughing as I hear him talk about this because that's exactly what I was taught. Right. So Bill Burr's my age, he's in his fifties. And every time I watch him, I laugh because he makes fun of our machismo, right. As you know, our gender, we're supposed to just forget it push everything down. Don't worry about it. And I love the fact that he says, you know, pretend you have all the answers <laughs> because that's <laughs> very typical of dudes, right? Like I got this, I got this, you know, uh, right. even if we have no idea what we're doing, but exactly. yeah, I, I actually had to look up, um, Madison. I didn't know who she was. Um, and one of the things that struck me about the story was that her whole goal in life, she was, a uh, obviously an academic to get into UPenn. Mm-hmm. And she was a division one, or I don't know about division one, but a, a great athlete. And then she competed, which was her goal. 
to compete in track in college, right? And so she right. got there and she competed in college. And so that was even more of a mystery. She got into her favorite university. She competed at the collegiate level. She didn't have any signs early on. And then even her friends were saying, you know, hey, it's okay. This happens as freshmen. You know, we're, we're scared to be away from our, our, our parents, our hometown, our network, if you will. Uh, you don't feel this safe anymore. But, you know, there's a lot of that, I think, that touches on um, celebrity in general. You know, because when you do achieve success, you've talked in your book about making it, you know, which everyone talks to. Oh, when I make it, I'll be fine. You know, and I went through a lot of the same shit um, with my own depression was that I suffer from chronic anxiety, much more so than I suffer from depression. And depending on how anxious I get, it can, if I have numerous panic attacks over a week, my brain will just crash. It'll be like, hey, 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 I'm telling you, you got to chill out, man. And I'm like, I can't, I got things to do. And he's like, no, 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 I'm telling you, dude, <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to shut off, I'm like <laughs> off <laughs> and you're done. And, and when that happens, I get you know, that migraine you had. It's your internship where you just didn't think you could make it. I have those. Even when I wrote my book, I would get these rushes of panic and then I would try to shove it down and deal with it. Uh, and I have two little kids, two little boys. And sometimes it would get so bad that I couldn't interact. I'd be like, guys, I got to go lay down. Daddy's got a headache, you know? And then they would come over and hug me and tell me they love me. And, you know, it was, and, and it didn't pierce it. You know what I mean? You know right. you're in a hole when your little boys are telling you they love you and there's no emotion. It's just that, you know. Yeah, there's just, just there, that, all the vitality know. is just gone. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. Anhedonia, I guess, I think is what it's called. But yeah, you're just <laughs> flatlined. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, it's, that was just such a tragic story. I have too many of those in my own personal life. Uh, my buddies have lost kids to suicide. Um, we're seeing a lot more of it now, you know, with COVID. Uh, yeah. kids that are absolutely isolated. Um, and they have, you know, I, I don't know if I, I, sh I sent you a little bit about my own depression. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but yeah, I did. I read through it. Mm -hmm. So my brother suffers. My older brother suffers from chronic depression. He's on heavy Zoloft. Um, has been for 20 years. My little brother was bipolar. Um, so I get this stuff. You know, I, I think that the empathy that I have, and I'm thankful for my own depression because at least I know to some level, like when I read your novel or your memoir, and when I talk to other folks that are suffering, I can relate. I can be yeah. like, oh man, dude. And then when you, when you crawled out of the hole, how to feel, you know? And yeah. Like, oh my God, it felt so good. It was like yeah. the sun, you know, like yeah. the sun again. And, you know, and, and I liked, I, I, I wanted to eat and I wanted to talk to people and I wanted to, you know, be social again. And, you know, it, that was, that's a big part of it, you know, and I know that you went through all these machinations, um, even before you went and got help. And when did, when did you actually go meet John, your therapist? What year was that? Um, so that was, it was after my senior year of college. So I, I, let's see, it was 2015 was when I went and saw him and it was, I had, I went, for one semester for a super senior year. So it was the fall of 2015 um, that I met John. Okay. And were you still at school or you were graduated already? Um, so so I, I failed a couple classes in my sophomore year. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I had to go. <laughs> I, dude, I was so close too. I know. I couldn't believe it. 
Yeah. I, th- I thought he would give it to you, but you know, what are you, gonna do? Uh, you know, and he gave me some bad, I got nothing against the guy, but he gave me some bad advice because I was, I was like, I think I should drop the class and just register for the one in the fall. And he was like, right. I think you should stick it out. And if you get close enough, we'll see. Got real close. Then he didn't give it to me. And then the class in the fall was filled up. So I had to wait a year to take it in right. the spring. And then that meant yes. I had to go to college an extra semester. And I was like, that was not helpful advice, man. No, and that's um, a kick in the nuts when you're depressed too, right? You're like, hey, I don't really? need this. I need uh, some happy in my life right now. Seriously. I don't need to flunk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was in my, I was in my final semester of college. Um, and uh, I, I still had a couple hard classes, but it, it was nowhere near as hard as the last two years had been. Um, and I was still very much just you know, the person that just wanted to bulldoze through everything. Um, and so I, I, I stayed in, um, you know, my John was thinking that really I should withdraw for a semester and kind of get my feet yeah. back under me. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's the right move for someone. Um, and maybe that's what I would do now. Um, but back then the better move for me was to really just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So that's what I, that's what I did. I, I liked him a lot. I think um, the one thing that you did a really good job in your book of comparing John to Sean um, in Goodwill Hunting, which is Robin Williams. Sean was the psychiatrist that was dealing with Will. Mm-hmm. And when he came in and said, you know, bullshit, you're a coward. Don't be a coward to, big, to Will because he wasn't using his brain correctly. Um, did you have any parallels? Did you, I mean, you purposely used that story, but did you see that John was kind of similar. He was your goodwill hunting Sean kind of guy. He, you know, he, he really was, um, you know, I wasn't as resistant as, as will. Um, and he definitely didn't speak as academically as Sean did. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he would, he would tell me to go F myself sometimes. And it was, it was funny. And I mean, he would call me stupid and, and a moron <laughs> and, it was funny. I mean, we laughed yeah. about it. Um, and I think it was a good trade on his part. Cause do I think that he talks to everybody like that? No, no, absolutely not. Um, but he recognized in me that what I needed was someone that wasn't going to treat me with kid gloves. Like I was yeah. broken. Um, and so his ability to see that and to understand that and to talk to me in the way that would actually reach me. Um, and then from there to help me deal with why I was depressed and with figuring those things out, um, was extremely helpful. And, and it was great because I mean, right in the first time I saw him, he told me, he was like, you know, your brain is going to tell you that you have no reason to be depressed. That's what depression does. It's a smart son of a bitch. Don't listen to it. And I was like, that was, it was massively relieving to know that it wasn't some horrible moral failing on my part that I wasn't, you know, defective or broken and that I, that I could actually do something to improve my situation. And that's what I love to tell people. It's like, you know, it, maybe it's not your fault that you're depressed, uh, but you can own it and do something about it and get better. And that's not a, that's not a guilt thing. That's not a, uh, individual responsibility shoving on you. It, 
I, to me, that was relieving because I was like, oh, this thing that I felt completely powerless to change for years, you're telling me that there are steps that I can take, there are behaviors I can put in place, there, there are things that I could do, like coming to this talk therapy and grinding through some of this shit that's hard to figure out, and I can get better? Like, yeah, I, I'll do that. Like, that's great. Okay, it's hard. Fine. It's better than not having anything, you know? How long did you go to talk therapy with him? I went to talk therapy with him for five years. Nice. Um, Is it once yeah. a week? Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I would say for in, in the beginning, maybe the first six months, it was twice a week. Um, yeah. Then it went down to once a week. Um, and then maybe for the last two years, it was like once every two to four weeks. Yeah, I mean those <laughs> those meetings are important because when they say we need you to come in twice a week, <laughs> that yeah. means you're that means you're in trouble. Because I my therapist said the same thing to me. She said you need to come in every week. Yeah, and you need to be here at five o'clock, and you need to be here with a check. And yeah. I was like a check, and she's like, you need to pay me every Wednesday at five o'clock, and if you do not bring a check, you will not have your session, and you have three weeks to follow up and make up the session, and if you don't. You still pay for it. It's just gone. And if you do that twice, I will remove you as a patient. And I was like, wow. oh. And I interviewed her because she was like this badass who dealt with narcissism. My dad was a narcissistic personality disorder candidate. And so he did a lot of weird stuff to my family. So when I interviewed her, I said, well, can I just pay you up front? And she's like, no, Joey, that's the problem. You don't have any attention to yourself. You need to be attentive. You need to bring me a check. And because you need to bring me a check, you need to come in and think, what do I need to talk about today? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing. And I loved her immediately because she just didn't put up with my bullshit. And that's actually why I related to your, your boy, John, because he sounded hilarious. I liked his running shoes, his mismatched socks and the whole thing. Like, he just sounded like a character, right? Um, and I was happy to hear you went to talk therapy because I think the duality is really important. Um, and then you also mentioned that you you were diet. He's a psychiatrist, right? Not a psychologist. Yeah, pr pretty he's much. So he's he like an, he's got the uh, like a pharmacology degree. So he's so he could prescribe meds. Yes, correct. Because that was the same as mine. I didn't. I experimented with meds years ago, and I didn't. It didn't work for me. But um, you started on uh, Klonopin. That was one of the things he helped you for anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the pill you refused to take after the first time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and by the way, th this this scene, uh, I did laugh out loud because you took the Klonopin, which when I took it, by the way, I had the same reaction. My brain started like tickling. Like I, I, I was like, holy shit, all this energy is, it like, like woke my brain up, right? And then you got all emotional. <laughs> and then you said, dad, I'm a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then you cried on his shoulder and then he laughed and he said, Oh, you know, no, you're not. And he said, no, I'm a bitch. And then he, yeah, it was a great scene, dude. I, that yeah. was a very heartwarming. Um, and you had a very similar one with your brother, you know, where you guys kind of, uh, you know, laughed about being vulnerable, which yeah. I thought was great. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that was really funny because, um, and you know, I talk about that too, you know, I, and again, I've never thought of my parents as unloving. I've never thought of my dad as unloving. But the dude is Old Testament, right? right. Um, <laughs> right. And 
So, and, and he knew, he knew I was wound up about this medicine. He knew I didn't want to take it. He knew I felt like a loser, uh, like a total failure, like just <clears throat> dirt. Um, and he was trying to make me laugh, um, right. with, with the medicine and stuff. And, uh, when I took it and then it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I took it and I was just overwhelmed and I just started crying and I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm such a bitch, right? And the two of us were just laughing. I mean, it was funny. And and that's it. I think that's the thing that's 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 also kind of cool about my story and right and I can see that that you appreciate is I didn't try to force myself to feel a certain way, right? Like I was embarrassed about what I was going through. And I was embarrassed to have to take the medicine. And I didn't try to say to myself, Oh, well, you know, I, I shouldn't be embarrassed. I was just like, well, I, I am. I'm going to still do it. And that means I got to fight through, you know, this humiliation that I'm experiencing. And I can do it. In a, I can do it on my terms. Right. And so I call myself a bitch and we have a good laugh and I feel better. And, and, and those, they were good moments. Now, that was a great moment for me because it's, let me ask you this. You were embarrassed to do this. You're embarrassed to take the pill. You're embarrassed to admit it. Obviously, you've gone through a metamorphosis because not only are you not embarrassed, you wrote about it and told right. the world about it. And it's in writing, which means it's out there forever. Yeah. <laughs> right? So like, there's no... You can't pull that back, right? There's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube, right? That's it. It's out. Exactly. And when did that happen for you? When did you become not only not embarrassed about it, but you now want to go out and share you know, your story with others, when did that take place? So that I, I started to want to share, uh, for, for a couple of different reasons. Um, one was, you know, and I, I talk about this in the book too. I think one of the most powerful, uh, experiences I had in my recovery was talking to other people in my life who I did not know struggled with depression. Um, and who I also would not have ever thought struggled with it because they were happy. They loved life. I could see that in them. Um, and when, when we talked and I knew I, you know, I could hear it in them that they understood what I was going through. I could hear it in their voice. And, and when they told me that there was something after and, 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 and just the compassion, um, that they treated me with, that gave me faith in, in life after that kind of brokenness. Um, and having that, that hope and that faith really helped me to hold on. Um, and that was something that, that both of them said made it worth what they had to go through because, uh, as, as you know, there's not much that would make going through depression worth it. Right. No. But being able to help someone else through it is strangely one of the things that does make it worth it. And so then what happened was uh, a couple months later, I graduated college. I'm, uh, you know, at, at work and I see on Facebook, um, that a junior at Holy Ghost, which was the high school that I went to, uh, had committed suicide the night before. No signs, no symptoms. Hadn't said anything to friends or family out of the blue. Um, and I reached out to the principal there, uh, who was a teacher that I had when, when I was, um, 
at Ghost. And I said, listen, you know, you remember me. Nobody would have thought that this happened to me. Let me come in. Let me talk to the kids. Let me tell them that doesn't have to be this way. And he got back to me and he said, I, I had to do a double take uh, when I saw your name in this email. And I had to make sure that this was actually you because you're right. You are the last person that I would have thought struggled with this. And absolutely. Um, and so I came in and I just gave a, a quick 15 minute presentation to the kids and it went really well. Um, a lot of them reached out to family afterwards and said that they were having a hard time or they, they went to the counselor. Um, there was just a good response from it. And I realized that, you know, if I could help some people to not have to go through what I went through, then that would be worth it. And at the time, I was still very much embarrassed about what I went through. I remember my voice wow. was cracking a little bit when I, uh, when I started giving this presentation. And I, I don't have a fear of public speaking, but it was just what I was talking about that was like, get me a little bit. Um, and I just thought, maybe I can, you know, what would that have done for me? If I heard this when I was 16 and if the, if the cost for me to help someone is to go through a little bit of embarrassment, there's not much of a cost at all. And once I kind of put it in those terms to myself, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to help people. And, you know, whatever anyone has to say about it, that's just fine. Because if it helps someone not go through what I went through, if it possibly saves someone's life, it's worth it. And you actually, did you go to a high school and actually attend like an auditorium? Did they fill the gym? Yeah. All these yeah, kids? Was, and then you got up there and spoke to like 200 kids? It was, yeah, it was about 500 kids. 500, somewhere okay. between four and 500 they filled kids. The whole, and, the whole school. Mm hmm. And you came yeah. in and told your story. Is this, is this after you read your, this wasn't, after you read your or wrote your book, nope. This was this was this was the first thing I would say in my sort of public speaking okay. and writing about um, mental health. Got it. it was just it was kind of a by the seat of my pants when I you know when I saw that this happened I was like I got to do something about this. Yeah, and it like I said it went well and and one of the guidance counselors at ghost had heard of the organization minding your mind um which does exactly this right they have speakers like me go into high schools um middle schools community organizations and give these presentations i think um, that's amazing and that's actually what i was getting to with you know the difference between our generations is that we didn't talk about this stuff when i was growing up um even when my brother got it 20 years ago when he first recognized he had it we didn't talk about it. I assumed that the generation, you guys talked about it. I mean, see it on social media, kids sing about it. I mean, Billie Eilish is obviously a very vocal um, advocate for mm -hmm. depression and, and anxiety. And she talks about it as do a lot of the singers. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just still not talked about within your, within your group, huh? I, you know what? I, I, I think it's definitely talked about, more with millennials than, than your generation. Um, but yeah. I think it's really, I guess the next one is Gen Z. I think it's really a lot more with Gen Z than it is with okay. millennials. Um, because I, you know, like I said, I, I graduated, 
I graduated high school in 2011, there was no mental health program. Nobody talked about it in the school. Nothing. Um, I don't remember anything about it. Um, And I see in high schools now tons of, uh, you know, I think more high schools than not have some sort of program, bring in some sort of speaker or some outside group. It's, it's part of the general health classes. They talk about mindfulness. Um, and so it's, it's cool because it, again, if I had maybe just a little bit of that general education, um, maybe I would have been able to say to somebody, look, I don't understand why, but this is happening to me. And I think we need to do something about it. You know, I, I can't guarantee that I would have done that, but maybe I would have. Um, and that's that's about the best that we can do, right? Yeah, I think that's what I that's why I reached out to you. You know, I looked, I, I I go online, I look for people who are writing about this and talking about this, and you were doing both. So I was like, oh, this young man should jump on my show. He shouldn't be ashamed. Um, yeah. I still find it hard to get guests, right? Because the whole show, laugh your cry out, is to talk about anxiety and depression and things that are bubbling up in your life. Um, you know, your non-social media persona, right? Like your real persona, not the food that you eat and the cool, you know, Tahoe pad that you're staying in or whatever you're doing with your friends. It's like, this is where I'm going at. And it's hard. It's still hard for young people to come out and talk about it. Um, and I, for me, I didn't talk about it until late in life, just because of all of the stigma attached to it. I was insecure enough. I didn't want to like <laughs> throw that on top of the heap and say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a mess. And I suffer from panic attacks. And if you witness one of those, you'll really think that's cool. Um, you know, <laughs> you mentioned that you had up to 12 a week during your heyday. Yeah. Um, and that's brutal, man, because like they hurt. Like they physically hurt. They wipe you out um, for the remainder of the day sometimes. And how did you get through that? That's a shitload I, you, of panic attacks, dude. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta tell you, I, I really, I don't think I realized, and I, I remember talking to them, uh, my mom about this. I don't think I realized how much of a toll these things were really taking on me oh, until I started to get better and I stopped having them for a while. And so I maybe went a couple months without one, and then I had just one, and I was yeah. just, you know, it knocked me on my ass. And I oh, was yeah. like, I don't know how. I was like, I honestly don't know how I did it. I, I, I I think it's just kind of one of those things, right? Everyone has some sort of time in their life that they look back on and they're like, I don't know how I did that, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's pulling all nighters to pass exams or, you know, when you just had kids and they're up all night crying, um, and, you know, you're juggling stuff and bills and everything. Like, there's, we all can point back to something. And to tell you the truth, I don't know exactly how I did it. I think it was just because, um, I really was just laser focused on these things are going to make me better. Um, and that's just what I did. There's some power in not knowing too, <laughs> right? I mean, 18, 19 years old, you think, you know, at that point in your life, you do feel invincible. So you're big and strong and healthy. And so you're like, yeah, panic attack, whatever, I can get through it. Um, and you also mentioned, and this is something I did for Jeez, a whole decade probably. I drank too much. Um, I spent oh, yeah. a lot of time in the ad business. In my 30s, um, it was the dot-com. I was at a small ad agency. We were kicking butt. 
you know, working with all these cool companies in San Francisco. And so for me, the depression was there, but I could, I could drown it temporarily. And mm-hmm. in my early thirties, you could drown it and then feel good. And you mentioned this too, when you went out with your buddies, you would drink, you guys would go to first and get hammered and play pool and, you know, karaoke and have fun because you wanted the madness to end, even if it was that night. Right. And I think that's right. typical of like youth. You could like, Oh, I'm going to pay tomorrow. <laughs> like I'm going to feel like shit, but I'm just going to have fun with my mates tonight. And this is going to be great. Um, and for me, I quit drinking after I had kids. Uh, I went out to my buddy's bachelor party or no, I went to his engagement party with my, mm-hmm. my wife and I had never really drank in, uh, or drunk in like, uh, scotch. And it was like a scotch bar and they had all these high end, fancy, smanchy stuff. And so they're like, Hey, take three fingers of this and taste it. And I was like, okay. And I just got ripped. I mean, blotto drunk, fun drunk. You know, I was happy and having a good time, but I woke up with the worst hangover I've ever had. And it wasn't just physical. I mean, it was pretty bad. And my wife told me that night, she said, Hey, you know, we're going to my cousin's tomorrow for, the third birthday party it was their her little boy, Alex, and I was like, okay, I'll I'll go. And she's like, you better stop drinking because you're going to this party. And I was like, I got it, I'm fine, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. getting hammered. Um, and then I went to bed that night and had just these horrible nightmares about all the stuff that I did. Um, none of it was true, but that's I thought I did all this assing out kind of thing, right? And I woke up, and she's like, okay, we're going, and you're going. This is part of your punishment. And I was like, Oh babe, like, no, you're, <laughs> no. you're going. And so I, I went to this party and I got there for maybe 10 minutes. And then I was like, I can't. And I actually went into Alex's little like race car bed <laughs> and I just curled up in the fetal position. And I was like, I'm done. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't attend the party. I'm not fun. I am wrecked. And it wasn't just like the physical, which was terrible by the way. Right. Um, it was the mental, you know, they call it hangxiety or whatever, you know, words you want to apply to it. But the mental was so bad that the, you know, I was, I'm a loser. I can't, I can't believe I'm still doing this. You know, I'm 43 years old or whatever it was at the time. And I, I obviously have a problem. And she came in and she checked on me and she said, how are you doing, babe? And I said, I'm done drinking. And she goes, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, because like any wife all, would say, yeah, yeah, we've all said that a million times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. And I was, I never, I never touched another drop of liquor. I still drink wine and beer here and there. Uh, right. But I can't do it. It's just the, it's not just the physical, it's the mental. The mental well, hangovers are brutal. I mean, that's, that's impressive because it's, it's not an easy thing to just stop like that. So, well, I mean, my little brother was a raging alcoholic. So I, I have to, you're, it's a good, point to delineate there is that there's, I think everything's on a continuum. I think depression's on a continuum. I think anxiety's on a continuum. Alcoholism. I quit because it was, I'd gone through enough therapy right, to, to actually love myself as a human right. being, not like arrogant love of myself, which I was really good at, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, okay, I deserve this. I'm madly in love and I have two little boys and I need to grow the fuck up. Like I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Right. And that was where it was for me. It was that, and I was I, I was seeing a therapist at the time, and I was like, "Hey, I just did this last night, and this isn't good." And she's like, "Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> you need to, you need to stop drinking." 
And I was like, okay, I did. I did. And she's like, no, I mean, you really need to not ever touch. I'm like, I, I know, I know. I'm, done. I'm done. And you're like, I, we're on the same page. We're good. We're good. We're like this, you know? But yeah, I did. I finished. And, and, uh, and when you, you wrote about that too, where after you guys went out, you woke up in the morning in the fetal position. And I related to that because that's exactly where you go, right? You, yeah. you, you just, I can't be here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want the sun to come up. <laughs> you know, right. I just want to lay here and feel sorry for myself. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I think that's a really uh, interesting thing that you said there about um, how you learn to actually love yourself and not in some arrogant way. Um, and if I had to comment anything on society, um, and I, I touch on it a little bit in the book, um, it would be that is I think there's far too many of us that, you know, love ourselves in a very arrogant way, or, you know, we proclaim that we're perfect just the way we are. And I think that that phrase comes from a good place and i think its origin is from a good place and i think it's been hijacked by by people who don't want to accept any responsibility for themselves right it's kind of that that and i i mentioned this too it's kind of those people that are like oh if you can't accept me at my worst then you don't deserve me at my best and it's like yeah well maybe your worst is unacceptable and maybe <laughs> your worst yeah. needs to be better right like yeah. it's like maybe you need to not be an ass and i you know, I mean, I, 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 I have that attitude towards myself, right? Yeah, me too. And that was something that my that my um, therapist really helped me out with. That was something that John helped me out with. Is he was like, "Look, dude, like you're just way too hard on yourself. Like you just are. You just beat yourself up. You beat yourself to hell. You you have to learn what is good about being Lucas." Right. And until you can do that, you have to at least offer yourself kindness. Right. And that was to me, I'm like, dude, you know, can you shut up with that crap? Like, <laughs> you know, but, um, and that's why it was important for him to be able to also say stuff to me, like, go F yourself, because I knew it wasn't just some hippy dippy crap coming right. out of him. It. it was an actual real psychological principle that. I had to offer myself the same kindness that I offered other people, that I was worth it, that I was worth having a good life. And, and you just said the same thing, right? Like you figured out that, okay, giving up alcohol is hard, but I'm worth it. And the life that I want to have is worth making this sacrifice for. And I think that, I think that that doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to mental health, right? Is like, there's a lot that we can't control, but there are those things. And I just think it's really cool to be able to own that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I think you did a good job with that too. I think um, the fact that he said, I remember one of the conversations, he said, are you worried about Martians invading tomorrow? And you're like, well, no. And you're like, smart ass, no. And he's like, but you understand why I asked the question, right? So it's, and that kind of, I think, dovetailed into the old man story, which, by the way, I really like your stories and how you bring in your own anxiety and depression into them. The old man story where he said, you know, you need to, there's always a storm on the horizon. So you right. need to be prepared and you need to enjoy the now, 
right? That's that whole present moment. That's every, and you're a religious person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your dad's an Old Testament. You may be more of the King David's version, but um, in the sense that God is presence, right? So I'm not, I'm a, I went to Catholic school and, uh, or I went, I was confirmed Catholic and I grew up in the church and my mom is a devout Catholic. And so I can relate to you on that front. Um, teaching like meditative ideas around being present, being here, being now. Um, and you were worried about the storms coming back, right? And you asked, mm -hmm. well, when will they come back? And he, and he said, sometimes, which I thought was such a great answer because, you know, this story really does, um, it illustrates what's going on in everyone's head. It's after the storm is gone, you should be happy. You know, you should be look up and be like, yeah, everything's cool. The sun's back. But you're like, Phew, where's the next one? And how am I going to brace for that? Because it's going to hurt and it's going to suck. And I'm going to dive back into this hole. And, um, you know, that, that part, I think with John again, was where it goes back to that Chucky will discussion in Goodwill hunting where he said, you know, dude, you know, this isn't this, you're not doing this for you. You're doing this for me. Right. I'm still going to be here when I'm 50. I'm still going to be here, you know, throwing cement blocks off of a concrete. I'm still going to be doing this. And you have a brain. You have a way out. You need to do this for me. And how you tied that to Gabriel was so touching. I thought that was so cool because the Chick-fil-A story, so heartwarming. I mean, it was one of those things where why don't, you, why don't you tell that story? Because I, I love that before I move on with uh, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, my like like we've said, my my younger brother, Gabriel, uh, got pneumococcal meningitis when he was 11 months old. Um, and that left him uh, physically and, and mentally disabled. Um, and so, you know, he'll, he'll technically, according to doctors, never uh, mature past the age of a six-year-old. But he's actually you know, for all abilities, he's very intelligent. Um, and he's, he's an incredibly personable person, which is amazing because, um, typically when you have brain damage to your frontal lobe, it, it kind of destroys your personality. Um, and you're usually angry and irritable. Um, but that's not him. And he got, uh, he got a job at Chick-fil-A as a greeter. Um, and he, just opens the door for people as, as they come in. And I went and I visited him one day and it was just incredible because every single time he opens the door for someone, you know, you can, you can see right away that he has some disabilities and it just, he smiled at people. He would wave to them. He always wants to fist bump everyone. That's awesome. Um, and he loves, he loves everybody equally. Right. And that's one thing that I've, that I've learned from him that I think is so great. And what, what, what really was so important about that day was I was struggling at the time with trying to figure out what the purpose was to my life. Um, and I was still kind of at this time convinced that we, we sort of had this one thing that we were like destined to do, right? Like mm -hmm. Tony Stark beating Thanos, right? Like, <laughs> right. And that's, I was looking for my Tony Stark moment. I was like, what is it? And when I was watching Gabriel open the door for people and seeing how in that brief moment, this interaction between strangers, how, how it changed them, how it, 
how it took away whatever they were worrying about for a minute and it brought a smile to their face and it truly touched them, like it truly reached them. I realized that it, I had this idea of purpose all wrong and that there's there's purpose in 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 everything that we do, even the really small, tiny things like opening the door for each other. Um, and, and being able to learn that from, from Gabriel and seeing him, uh, and doing this work at Chick-fil-A, that was just very, very powerful. It was dude. That was a great story. And I think that for me, I could, illust- I could see the visual of him smiling. You mentioned one of his arms is, um, you know, a bit, uh, yeah, he's got CP. So, so he can only only fist bump, but his smile brought everybody else a smile. And in that moment, they were then present, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They weren't present when they're walking in there because they're they were. worried about they're worried about how many chicken sandwiches they're going to get or the crispy cut fries or whatever they want. And then they see this beautiful. My grandfather referred to kids, men and women um, that have severe disabilities like this as God's holy innocent. And he, he referred to them that way. He also was a big devout Catholic, but he said they don't ever judge anyone. And when you look at them, they're not judging you. So what they do, what your brother does for people, and I've never met him, obviously, but I have special needs people in my life. My mom used to babysit a little special needs boy, and it was the same thing, is that he's, his reflection is joy. He's yeah. happy you're talking to him, right? So yeah. he's happy you're paying attention to him. He's looking at you and there's nothing there except whatever your personal God is. That's where God is. He's like right there. He's smiling. You then forgot about all of the narrative. Whatever's going on in that head, even you suffering from depression, walk into a Chick-fil-A and forget about your stuff for even 30 seconds. Right. right. That's so important. And I think that's, I think that's the greatest thing. Uh, I want to read this um, because you wrote this about your brother and I didn't want to screw it up in the paraphrasing, but it says, there's something in each of us that is unbreakable that cannot be destroyed by the storms of this world. I already believe that. I've always believed that because of Gabriel. Gabriel defined science. He defined logic. He defined what was supposedly a possible through, impossible through the strength of his spirit. He taught me that there is a piece of us that is unbreakable if we choose to have faith in our own spirit. And I thought that was magnificent. I, because that's, I think what you're doing and that's why I was so interested in talking with you is that you, you went through hell um, with this depression. Mm -hmm. You realized that purpose isn't a missed train. You use that metaphor too. It's, it's always in the station. Um, Right. Jump on it anytime you want. And, this was your, you were doing this for Gabriel too, not just for you, right? Right. You were getting healthy because you're like, yeah, his purpose is to reflect joy to people. And now your purpose, and again, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but from what I read is that you now want to go out and help people because if you can tell people, hey, I went through this, I'm going to tell you about it and I'm going to show you through my illustrative writing what it was like for me. And then you, by reading this, we'll feel less alone. And then maybe you'll start to talk to somebody about that. And they won't feel embarrassed. They won't feel, well, I mean, they will. We all do. We're humans. Right. Um, but that's, that's the, you know, good for you, dude. I was just, I was really 
happy. Um, I've read a lot of memoirs over the last three years because I was writing one. So I've read about 50. Um, okay. And this was really entertaining. I mean, if I don't know if you're going to continue to write, um, but you know, you have some genuine and inherent skills uh, of storytelling. You have a cool voice because it's okay. um, it's not pretentious in the least. There's no bitterness. Uh, and I think you have with your faith and kind of what you've overcome, you know, it's an impressive story. And I think it genuinely will help people specifically more so than I would. Cause if I start to talk to somebody, they'd be like, all right, cool pops. Or, you know, I, don't, I don't need to hear your story. Um, did they have the wheel when you were born? That kind of thing. But, um, you know, it, it's cool what you're doing. And I, I, I would like to just kind of finish up with this. Are you still? In therapy, where are you in your mental health journey? Like, what, what's yeah. going on in your head today? So, I actually, um, I just stopped going to therapy um, just just this year. Um, I I had really gotten to a point where um, I didn't I didn't need it anymore, um, and uh, and I was I was happy about that. I was I was um, I was happy. I, I really was. Um, the medicine, um, and, uh, I talk about that a little in the book too. I only needed the clonopin for a little bit. Uh, you can only take that short yeah, term every day short-term. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was really just to get my sleep back. Cause I was, I was so fried, uh, from all those panic attacks, couldn't sleep, couldn't, oh, couldn't eat. Really? That's why they yeah. came to be too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but now I'm just on on a very low dose of Cymbalta. Um, okay. I uh, I did try to go off of it uh, this past summer, and it actually worked out very, very well. I was off of it for about four months, um, but then I I started really kind of feeling it again in the fall. And um, as I'm sure you know, when you start feeling it, sometimes it can go real quick. Yeah. And I just said, you know what, it, the old me wouldn't have gone back on the medicine because yeah. he would have seen that as a Gun failure. Out. Man, push your feelings down. <laughs> push the feelings down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, that's what the old me would have done. I was like, I'm going to be a little bit smarter and I'm just going to get back on this because there really is a chemistry component as well. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. there, it, that is absolutely true. Um, and I started taking it again and within a week, a week and a half, I started feeling better. Um, so that's kind of where I am. I, I don't go to the therapy anymore. Um, and I'm on a very low dose of antidepressants. And that seems to really do the trick for me. That's fantastic, dude. Again, I, I really appreciate your time. I, I think what you're doing is awesome. Um, the world needs it right now, I think more than ever. Um, and minding the mind, uh, obviously doing some great stuff. So keep doing all that. Keep helping everybody. And congrats on your uh, recent nuptials with Erica. I think Thank that's you. A, obviously a great story. Keep touching toes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, think that was, I think that was really cute. Um, yeah. But I will let you go uh, back to your life. And if you guys, if you and Erica ever get out to San Francisco, um, drop me an email and we'll hang out. I promise you and your wife, we won't talk about depression <laughs> the whole time. Uh, that sounds... That sounds good to me. And, and it was a pleasure thank you very much for, for having me on your show. I, I appreciate it. I love doing this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I, I look forward to reading your book as well. Thanks, man. I'll make sure uh, send you an autographed copy. I would love that. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you dig what we're doing over here, please subscribe. And while you're at it, 
please download an episode or two and leave a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, big hugs.